Thanks to Indeed for supporting this episode of Industry Focus. Are you hiring? With Indeed, you can post a job in minutes, set up screener questions, then zero in on your shortlist of qualified candidates using an online dashboard. Get started today at Indeed.com slash Motley. That's Indeed.com slash Motley. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Monday, March 16th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. And on today's show, we're going to dive into some listener Q&A. You know, it's obviously a unique time right now with uh, COVID-19 bringing everything to a virtual standstill. Uh, So over the weekend, we reached out uh, on Twitter to see what questions you listeners have. Uh, given, given everything that's going on. And we thought we'd dive into them today. Uh, joining me, as always, is certified financial planner, Matt Frankel. Matt, how's everything going? Pretty good. It's really weird talking to you face-to-face because normally we don't I, we don't see each other while we're recording. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a little bit of a different time. And for listeners, if you're wondering if the audio is a little different, uh, it, it is a little bit different. We uh, right now have, have closed Full HQ uh, for non-essential stuff, uh, and and while I'm sure you all view our podcasts as essential as as we do as well, uh, you know we have technology on our side here to be able to to record in trying times like these, and so I'm actually at my house, uh, Matt's at his house, but thanks to uh, our man Austin Morgan, he's going to make all this work for us, and uh, and I think this ought to work out well. So, uh, Matt, let's just go ahead and jump right into it. There's a first question we have here on Twitter. It's from at Rose Salavi two, who asks, "Will the Corona pandemic be the great paradigm shift to boost digital payments?" And while the EU gets punched in the face, what's your view on Adyen? Uh, so let's just go ahead and, and start that question off first and foremost with it seems like the main question here is in regard to uh, the the shift towards digital payments. And, and I, you know, I certainly do think this is another one of those uh, periods in time where, yeah, I mean, it, it does seem like logically speaking, it makes more sense to use less cash uh, and rely more on digital payments in in times like these. Uh, I was I was looking at uh, you know some 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 different takes here uh, over the weekend, and I mean, there's no question you're you're looking at at situations there that they are talking about how pathogens and viruses can live on most surfaces for around 48 hours, but paper money. Uh, can reportedly transport a live flu virus for up to 17 days. Uh, that just goes to say that yeah, paper money and, and even coins uh, definitely can transmit those those germs, those viruses. And, and um, I, I, I could see why that would prompt people to want to use less cash. And, and definitely uh, physicians out there, the World Health Organization, they have warned that the virus can be transmitted to customers via banknotes and coins. And so regardless of uh, your location, uh, using cash is going to, uh, in some cases, probably up the risk there. And uh, consequently, I think we'll probably see uh, more adoption of digital payments as, as time goes on. I don't know that this is something that we'll necessarily forget so quickly. 
Um, but uh, in regard to Adyen, you know, I, I did look into Adyen over the weekend, and I had not looked at it before. It's a relatively new company on the market, um, but but it's yeah, they call themselves a tech company trying to redefine the payments business, and and so it, you know it plays an interesting role in that value chain of of payments. But uh, you know, I'd have to dig into it really more to get a full understanding of what they view their competitive advantage. Uh, but there are a lot of things in its favor: strong balance sheet with more than one billion dollars in cash. The co-founder, uh, Pieter Vanderdoes, is the CEO of the company. Uh, the value proposition seems to be that it's a single platform to serve from transaction to initiation to risk management to processing, uh, and they certainly are processing their fair share of currency. I mean, there was about 160 billion dollar or 160 billion euros uh, were processed through Adyen Networks in 2018. So, uh, you know, not making a call on the stock, but definitely one that I'm going to get on my radar to learn more about because playing in this massive payment space, it does look like Adyen could be another way to do that. So, thanks for the question there. Uh, next question up, we have from at Namredla5, who asks, when the market sells off like this, what's the best way to differentiate between a business stock price just going down with the overall market or a business that might actually have its earnings and revenue take a hit in the coming quarters? Airlines are obvious, but others aren't. Uh, Matt, you had a chance to take a look at this. What's, uh, what's your thinking there? Well, first of all, I want to make it perfectly clear. Most businesses are likely to take a pretty big earnings hit because yeah. of this. I, there are very few stocks I can point to that I'm, I would say are just going down because of the overall market. Um, most businesses are going to be affected in one way or another. I mean, the U.S. economy is essentially ground to a halt. That's why we're both we're both sitting at our houses right now <laughs> instead of in offices. Yeah. Um, but having said that, I would focus the most on companies that have strong balance sheets. Um, companies that have clear competitive advantages, lots of demand for their products. Um, I mean, Apple's one that just immediately comes to mind. Something that you know, people, no one's going to stop buying iPhones after this. They might stop temporarily, but once the dust settles, you're going to see demand pick up. Their revenues and earnings are certainly going to take a hit, at least for the first few quarters of the year. But in the long run, they're going to be just fine. They have a ton of cash, big brand name competitive advantage. And those are the type of businesses I'm looking at. I'm not looking for businesses that aren't going to take an earnings hit because you're fighting a losing battle there. Yeah, so. it does. It does really feel like no. I mean, this this is, this is a true bear market. I mean, these event driven bear markets. Uh, I mean, they, they just don't discriminate, and it's just amazing to see even a company like Apple uh, selling off the way it has. And and you know, we talked a lot about Apple going into this year. The stock has performed so well, and that's really been a function of multiple expansion more than anything. It's not like the company's growing its profits at some breakneck speed, uh, but the market just giving it a lot of credit for the dominant company that it is, right? Right, and it's just, like I said, I would avoid companies that are really going to take a hit. I mean, airlines look really enticing right now, but I wouldn't go anywhere near them. Yeah. Um, same with things like cruise lines. There's so many moving parts there, and if you think a stock like a major airline couldn't possibly go to zero, I'm, I can guarantee you that it's a possibility. 
Oh yeah. It's yeah. it's happened before. Yep, yep, we've seen it before and and just because it goes down doesn't mean it's necessarily going to come up and it's it's always it's always helpful to try to identify the catalyst that ultimately will bring it back up. With some companies the catalyst is very obvious and with others it's it's not so obvious. Um, so we have another question here from at @dw78 who asks the online bankers like Axos Financial shouldn't have coronavirus fears but they drop significantly as well. How do we evaluate them in comparison to banks that have brick and mortar components. What say ye, Matt? I would say you're thinking about it wrong. Um, The banks aren't dropping because people don't want to go to branches and things like that. The banks are dropping for a couple of reasons. One, a big one, interest rates have plunged, especially if you look at the treasury yields. The 10-year treasury yield is roughly one-fourth of what it was at its peak of not more than much of a year, not much more than a year ago. Banks make their money by loaning out to customers and getting paid interest. If they're charging less interest, less interest on loans, then they're going to make less money. Um, number two, and probably more importantly in this scenario, if we do get a big global recession, which is looking increasingly likely, it's going to really decrease demand for loans. It's going to cause defaults to rise. And that's true whether you're an online bank or a brick-and-mortar bank. Online banks do have an, an inherent cost advantage. But they're not at all immune to the the effects of a recession. Yeah, that's a really good point. And you know, I was thinking about another uh, bank that lacks the bricks and mortar presence. And you remember, not all that long ago, we had the president. Um, of Live Oak Bank, uh, Huntley Garriott. We interviewed him for the show, and we talked a little bit more about Live Oak Bank and what its value proposition was. Very much a bank built on technology, and their focus is really on small business lending, and they don't have any physical branches either. Um, another stock that has just gotten really uh, trounced here in this in this uh, sell-off, in this bear market. And uh, yeah, to your point, I mean, hey, there there is no physical presence to worry about. But is this a baby with the bathwater situation? It could be, uh, particularly if we think that maybe as we recover from this, um, banks like Live Oak are going to play a a pivotal role in making sure a lot of these small businesses that really feel a pinch from this, uh, making sure they actually are able to get back up on their feet. That remains to be seen. I mean, I think that could be seen as potentially a catalyst for something like Live Oak, and that maybe you know starts the conversation of is this a time to, to be looking at a company like that? Uh, but but yeah, to your point, it, it's just not discriminating. It's it's everything is getting hammered here, um, and and that's just what happens in bear markets, and we've seen this before, and we'll see it again. A uh, question here from at TMF Bowman who asks, will there be widespread bankruptcies and what companies will go first? And you know, I think that's an interesting question. I think the market right now, you know, what we're seeing, because we saw obviously the Fed drop rates to, to basically zero here over the weekend and introducing new quantitative easing, trying to get more money into the system and and free free up the financial system so that so that uh, access to funding is is not so difficult. But it kind of feels like to me they're missing the point. Um, the market to me wants reassurance, not rate cuts. And so I think until it actually gets reassurance. Um, we're going to see this thing going bonkers. And I mean, when I say reassurance, I mean, that's either going to come in the form of of virus abatement later, which hopefully will happen at some point here sooner or later, or financial aid to support the millions of jobs and lives that are being put on hold here. And I think that perhaps is where uh, we're not seeing enough done is is actually the, the commitment to the financial aid to help people meet payrolls, to help people that are dealing with hiatus from employment, 
Um, that that hasn't really happened yet. Now I know Congress is is working on passing a a uh, a bill here to to help move things along, but but we haven't gotten anything yet. And I imagine once they once they get that passed, it's going to feel like we need more. Um, if companies do go bankrupt, I, I would suspect it would be the small and medium-sized businesses first. I think the companies that just don't have the financial resources to deal with any kind of extended uh, time like this, any kind of extended stretch, uh, those are probably going to be the companies that do go first. I, I do feel like we will probably have somewhat of a safety net pulled in here that will keep bankruptcies to a minimum. Um, but there, there will likely be some, um, airlines, I think is, is that's one of the markets we keep on talking about, Matt. And, and clearly, uh, DC is, is already talking about ways to help keep the airlines propped up because it does seem like the situation's only getting worse for them. Yeah. I mean, like you said, if it looks, if I were just to look at the numbers right now, you know, obviously I would have to bet on airlines or cruise lines or something to that effect to go bankrupt. But there's so many moving parts here. We don't know what a bailout bill could look like. Um, I mean, in the going into the financial crisis, you would have bet on the banks to go bankrupt. Yeah. But they got so much capital injected into them, and the system kind of propped them up that the big ones were all, you know, okay in the end. Yeah. So I I think the same thing is going to happen here. Yeah, and I you know that's interesting. I'm glad you brought that example up because I remember very vividly back at that time. You remember Washington Mutual. And, and back in the time of the financial crisis, I mean, Washington Mutual was one of the big players in the mortgage space. I mean, this was one of those companies that we were kicking around. Is this too big to fail? And then you had this conversation of, of well, are they going to nationalize banks? If they do, what's, what's, what does that look like? Um, and at the end of the day, you saw some some financial institutions go belly up, but, but most didn't, but some did, and Washington Mutual was one of them. Yeah, it's... It's it's really too early to tell. I I'd say another week or so we'll have a lot more clarity from the the legislative standpoint of it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point. And and I do think you know this is one of these environments where after the dust all settles here, this is one of those situations where we're going to look back on this uh, period of time here, and the the strong really do get stronger in in times like these. I mean, companies that go into um, bear markets, economic pullbacks like this, a crisis like that. The companies that go in here with the strength, the competitive advantage, they come out oftentimes a lot stronger. So maybe that helps uh, yeah. make some sense of, of what your watch list should look like. Look at J.P. Morgan. Yeah, yeah, a good example. Very good. Before example. and after the financial crisis, there they went from you know being a, well one of the big players, but to being you know that powerhouse in the industry because. <laughs> They were, I'd say, the strongest of the big four going into that. Yep, yep, absolutely. Okay, we have a question from at Sandeep and David who asks, on which companies do you think Warren Buffett is spending his $120 billion? Matt, I know you have a couple of thoughts here. <laughs> as much as he can get his hands on, I'm hoping. <laughs> um, a few things I hope he's buying right now. I hope, first of all, he's buying a lot of Berkshire shares back. Yeah. Because Berkshire's getting hit just like the regular market. It was down 10% this morning. Um, I hope he's taken advantage. I mean, he he bought they bought shares back at about 218 last quarter, um, which, you know, remember to buy back shares, they have to both agree, him and Munger both have to agree it's trading cheaply. Yeah. And if they thought it was cheap at 218 in the 170s, I'm sure they're really <laughs> thinking it's cheap. Yeah. I um, but beyond that, I hope they're buying some some of their favorite bank stocks because financials have, as we just mentioned a little while ago, have really gotten hit. I hope they're adding to the positions like uh, Goldman, 
Uh, Bank of America is another one that they own a lot of that they could buy some more. Um, Amex, um, our war on cash stocks, Visa and MasterCard, Buffett owns a little bit of. Um, his energy stocks, uh, Occidental, is um, looking terrible. Um, and as most people have speculated with the airlines, I would love to see Buffett take this opportunity to an, uh, acquire a, a whole airline cheaply. Um <laughs> But I, I honestly, as, as much as this is an unpopular opinion, I don't see that actually happening. I, yeah, I, I'd be kind of surprised to actually see that. I, I kind of wonder – it, it strikes me. I mean I, it does feel like he would buy a lot more Apple in a situation like this. Um, and I'm just going to offer up my, my periodic reminder that McCormick is still looking really, really nice out there, they, Mr. Bob. <laughs> the, the market cap is now pulled back below $17 billion. This could be a meaningful acquisition, um, you know, from that elephant gun perspective, without having to spend all your money in one place. And uh, you know how I feel about McCormick, man. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd like to see Buffett acquire. That's a very Buffett business. It is. Um, it does it's a, it's a me. timeless business. I mean, they sell their products what, no matter what kind of economy is going on. <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's that's right. It's good or bad. They still sell a lot of it. Um, okay, how about this question from at Tara98333. She says, JMO, thanks for listening to us. You're welcome, Tara. Analysis of fintech companies that will hurt versus benefit the most. Also, who's enough? Uh, who has enough cash and debt to survive this crisis? So, Matt, let's tackle the, the fintech companies that you think um, – Walk out of here looking better versus the ones that uh, are going are to have some trouble to deal with. What what are some of the companies that, that you feel like are are hurt more from a bear market like this? Well, most will hurt. Um, the companies that are going to get hurt the most are the ones that both process payments and lend money. Um, if you think of like a Visa and Mastercard, they're essentially the middleman. They get a small percentage of each transaction they process, and you know, in a recession, payment volume is going to drop, but their risk is limited because they don't actually loan any money. They're just the middleman. Right. Whereas when you think of a company that actually makes loans, like I hate to say it, one of my favorites in the world, Square. Yeah, I was going to go to that one eventually. <laughs> um, they not only are kind of a middleman processing payments, but they have a pretty substantial business lending program. With Square now, Capital, you're talking with about. With Square Capital. Yeah. Um, now, Having said that, Square Capital is not your average loan program. I worry more about a company like an Amex or a Discover in this environment huh. um, with you know actual consumer lending exposure. But at the same time, the, the companies that do both sides of the financial business, the, the fintech business, the loans and the processing are likely to feel a sting. But on a good note, most of our favorite fintechs really don't have a ton of debt. They're mostly cash-rich companies. Yeah. Um, I mean, Square, PayPal, Visa, MasterCard, all of them have solid balance sheets. So I don't see any of them getting hurt to the point where they're going to have to, you know, raise capital or shut down or anything like that. But they could get hurt in the short term. And it's really a question of how quickly, how quickly this this pandemic really works itself through the system and how quickly the economy rebounds afterwards. That's really going to name the winners. Yeah, and you know, I'm glad you brought up Square and its its two sided network there because it does. I mean, it, it does a lot, and and I mean, on the one hand, it's nice it has that diversified business, um, but but on the other, I mean, you can see its exposure to. I mean, it, most of its clients, most of its customers are those small and medium sized businesses that are really starting to 
feel the pain from this and, and, and will feel the pain for some time to come. And so, I, you know, in the near term, I can see that being a problem, obviously. It's going to result in fewer dollars flowing through that network and, and probably fewer customers signing up because fewer businesses are starting in conditions like these. However, I do also think that, you know, maybe this is a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel here, but I, I do feel like with Square and Square Capital, they're going to be seen as part of the solution to this. I mean, this is going to be part of the solution and being able to help people recover. And, and you know, we know how Jack Dorsey is. I mean, he's he's a good person. I mean, I think this is going to be something that really becomes uh, central to, to his focus here in the coming year and beyond is helping all of these small business customers um get back on their feet and and they'll use square capital to do that and, and perhaps that expands their customer base because they're seen as um you know you know a way to a way to work through what is obviously a big problem for a lot of small and medium-sized businesses out there today yeah i i'd agree in in tough times i'd rather owe money to jack dorsey than to bank of america <laughs> or one of those you know it's you know it's just a better situation to be in yeah yeah he seems to be a little bit more empathetic <laughs> All right, well, let's take a look here at a question from at Chris six three one three zero one zero nine. Man, you got to get all those numbers out of that user ID, buddy. But anyway, <laughs> um, here we go. My brother uh, works for a popular SaaS company. He gave everyone fifteen thousand dollars worth of stock for Christmas. Damn, that's a nice brother. Uh, we moved four thousand out and diversified into other stocks, and we've been adding. Every two weeks since, should I lower the SaaS position more? Is the portfolio still too weighted? Thanks uh, for any help. And and I, you know, I, I so everybody's everybody's risk tolerance is going to be different. I mean, when you look at that on the numbers, there you're close to thirty three percent there um, that you've only taken out of that that fifteen thousand dollar position. In other words, you kept essentially, it sounds like, about sixty-five or so percent of that position in that one company, if I'm reading that correctly. Um in 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 you know, in any case, I mean if you have exposure that much exposure in your portfolio to one particular company, that's a lot. Now it's not I'm not saying it's right or wrong. It's just you need to be aware of the fact that you've got a lot a lot of eggs in one basket there. Now if if this is just one part of your overall investment portfolio, Chris, I'm not sure. Um, and, and I don't know what SaaS company this is, uh, so so take this with a grain of salt. My my initial reaction here, though, is that you probably would want to diversify that money out uh, into some other holdings. I think that we've certainly seen the, the benefits of diversification in uh, over the last few weeks here, as as the market generally has has been. Um, you know, feeling so much pain, but but yeah, I, I would definitely at least look at that and see if there are not some other places for for that money to go. Uh, next question here from at Sheriff Marcos, who asks, "What do you think about a company like Spirit Airlines trading for less than cash on hand? Uh, Nine hundred million dollar market cap versus a billion in cash, and that that has changed since since he asked the question. Uh, it is a little bit cheaper today, <laughs> but." Um, with gas where it's at and interests in uh, debt being next to free, do you see a multi-bagger from here? And and I, I would just say here, Sheriff, that while Spirit is a company that has been recommended in a couple of our foolish services, um, it, it you know it has not performed very well, unfortunately. And obviously, this is a very difficult time for a small airline. And and you made a good point there. It's a small company. It's less than a billion dollar market cap now. They do have a balance sheet rich with cash. However, in some instances, I I don't I you know I don't count that cash. Like in 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 some cases, in in the cases where I don't really count that cash are 
uh, situations like this where you know that airline is going to need that cash. Um, it, it's going to be lucky if it can make it through without any assistance. Chances are it's probably going to need uh, some type of a bailout, given what we know about the state of the airline industry right now. I mean, there's talk of um, putting all flights in the U.S. on hold, which is uh, just – I can't even fathom what that would look like. I mean, I know we had to uh, harken back to, to the days of 9-11 when, when that uh, feeling, I think, last existed. But I, you know, I look at Spirit today, and I, I don't know that I would view that as a multi-bagger opportunity because all of the headwinds on the horizon, and, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't count that balance sheet as anything other than uh, some cash that they're gonna need, and they're gonna need more. Um, so I would not value the company based on that cash at all. I would instead try to understand a little bit better what moves the airline industry forward from this. And you know, we go back to talking about the strongest survive. Um, I don't know that Spirit Airlines is necessarily the strongest out there right now, and I'm not saying that it's going to go out of business. But I'm just, I'm, I'm saying from an investor's perspective, I don't know that I would have this top on the list, and, and I, I certainly wouldn't be looking at that one billion dollars on the balance sheet as really uh, any any type of an asset that investors would ultimately see. Right, and being an airline's a capital intensive business. I it mean, is it costs a lot to put a plane in the air. Costs a lot to just own and maintain a plane. Um, airlines are set to lose billions of dollars from this. You've probably seen. Pictures being tweeted of flights with like three people in them. Yeah, um, the yeah. Airlines lose a ton of money when that happens. Yeah, I mean, I saw so, a flight. There was a video the other day. I mean, I, I'm assuming this is real, but it was a a flight to France, and I, there was like one guy on the entire plane. He was like doing the worm up and down the aisle, <laughs> which was just bizarre looking. But yeah, I mean, you just think the airlines are taking a bath on that. But I mean, that's. That's just the situation that yeah, we're so in that right now. You'd be surprised how quickly an airline can run through a billion of cash when that happens. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it disappears in the blink of an eye. Um, okay, so before we continue, I'd like to just thank Indeed again for supporting this episode of Industry Focus. You know, when it comes to hiring, you don't have time to waste. You, you need help getting to your short list of qualified candidates fast. That's why you need Indeed.com. You can post a job in minutes, set up screener questions, then zero in on qualified candidates using an intuitive online dashboard. And when you need to hire fast, accelerate your results with sponsored jobs. You know, I'll tell you, I was looking through uh, Indeed, and it is a slick website with a lot of information. It's all of the information that you really need, certainly from the job seeker's perspective. It's easy to search around for jobs, company reviews, even salaries. You'll find a lot of familiar companies on Indeed.com. And they've, they've even got a whole section there devoted to the top-rated workplaces, which is really helpful. The bottom line is, if you're looking for a job, then Indeed.com is a great place to get started. And new users can try for free at Indeed.com slash Motley. That's Indeed.com slash Motley. Terms and conditions and quality standards apply. Offer valid through March 31st, 2020. So post your job today at Indeed.com slash Motley and get a free sponsored job upgrade on your first posting. That's Indeed.com slash Motley. Terms, conditions, and exclusions apply. Offer valid through March 31st, 2020. Okay, Matt, we have another question here from at, I love this, at underdog is here one. Uh, Denny asks, any insights into the huge swings in Green Dot the last couple of days? If you could add one company to the war on cash basket, who would it be? Thanks for all that you both do. Denny, thanks for the question and the kind words. And Matt, I knew you were thrilled to see a question on Green Dot, so I'm going to let you take it. I am. I would actually punt the second half of that question to you, but we'll get to that. Okay. Um, for Green Dot, um, 
my take on it is that Green Dot's core business of prepaid cards could get re- hit really hard in a recession. Um, it's just a business that one is just declining in general, but number two, it's you know it's it depends on consumer spending, like yeah. we've been talking about with a lot of them. And on the other hand, I think the market doesn't really know how to value the banking as a service side of Green Dot's business. You know, the the infrastructure it sets up for companies like Apple and Intuit and Stash and things like that. Sure. So I just think – and it's such, a, it's such a new concept to provide like third-party banking services to other companies that I just don't really think the market knows what to do with that. But it's worth mentioning that Green Dot is still, still after a 30% market drop, well off its lows. Um, today, it's actually one of the better performers in, in, the, finan- in the entire financial sector. Um, so I – it's, remember, it dropped a lot a little while ago when the, the CEO announced his retirement unexpectedly. Um, oh, yeah. Green, Dot's, Green Dot's still, um, let me see, about 30% higher than its low when we were talking about it last time. All right. So it's holding up pretty nicely. It's been pretty volatile, but along with the rest of the financial sector. But it's actually been one of the better performers. But as far as a company to add to the war on cash basket, that's kind of your basket. So I was going <laughs> to put that one over to you. Well, I'll I'll give you one name I would throw out there and then to see if you have one too. I'm always interested in what you have to say. Um, you know, I, I always, I, I for a long time, I guess I thought I would just kind of go with Mercado Libre. But you know what the other company, I feel like I'd probably put in there before Mercado Libre um is is shopify and in in really i just you know learning more about shopify and the business opportunity that exists for a company like this the shopify payments part of the business and they work in conjunction with stripe to run a lot of money through their networks i think i might actually put shopify in there over mercado libre but but it's a really close call there i don't know do you have one in mind um i mean i don't disagree with that i mm. Maybe Amex is one that I would add to it, just because yeah. I, I like a lot of what they're doing. Um, especially they're, they're they're a unique kind of credit card company in the, in the sense that they're kind of being interactive and embracing millennials and and that sort of thing. Um, with their you know their lounge network is obviously a play toward you know millennial travelers and things like that. And I I just I think it's going to be a good opportunity to pick them up right now. But. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right, and and I think what we've seen with American Express too is they they've been able to pivot more or less their business towards that, like you said, that younger demographic. They've been able to expand their product offering and and change the the whole perception of what it means to be an American Express cardholder. I mean, for the longest time, it was this big. You're, you know, you're high cotton if you had an American Express card, but now it's, I mean, it's really, it's a card for everyone. They've got a lot of different products out there that that can uh, that can fit a lot of different needs, and so I, I do applaud them for being able to do such a good job with that. And, and I think the brand, obviously, is a tremendous amount of brand equity there that that uh, would be hard to uh, hard to uh, overcome as a competitor. Uh, okay, let's take a look here. Another question from at Brock H. Briggs, who asks, rates have continued to go lower over the last little bit, and successful banks have found other ways to make money besides interest to continue their growth. Is this sustainable for them over the long term? Because the Fed seems to think lowering rates is the answer to everything. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, Brock. They definitely do figure that uh, is the answer to everything, as, as uh, we've seen here over the weekend as well. But Matt, what do you What's your take here? Well, and, and uh, this question was posted before the Fed decided to chop interest rates right. to zero, so that was a you know <laughs> yeah. happy coincidence. <laughs> Very there. prescient, prescient um, tweet there. 
but yes, banks could definitely make money in a zero interest rate environment. They're still going to charge interest on loans. You might see mortgage rates drop to say three or even two and a half percent. You know, the same with auto loans, personal loans, pretty much every other banking product. Um, like for example, credit card interest rates are directly tied to the federal funds rate. But this was just, I mean, I say just, but this was a 100 basis point cut, meaning that if your credit card was charging you 17% interest, it's now charging you 16. Yeah. So banks are still making money. It's not like interest is being eliminated totally. So profit margins are definitely going to be squeezed when when interest rates fall and the Fed lowers rates. I don't see the Fed going negative, despite what some people in the media have said. I will. This is a not so bold prediction in my mind that the Fed is not going to even entertain the thought of negative interest rates, um, despite what the president has said. Um, <laughs> so I still I, this will be a profitable environment for banks um, in the long run. Like you said, they'll come out of it. I think even stronger than before because they're they're very financially sound. Um, if you remember, since the financial crisis, banks have had to be stress tested. Um, so we know that the big banks, especially, can really survive a even a, a much more terrible downturn than even the worst case scenario of this could be. Um, I, I forget the exact requirements for the stress testing, but it's you know it's something like like you know twenty percent unemployment or you know something like that. Yeah. So the banks are fine; they're going to make money. It won't be as much money for a little while, but they're still going to be profitable and. It's also worth mentioning for all the banks that have investment banking divisions, which is pretty much all the big ones, they trading or I'm sorry, volatility is actually a usually a positive for trading revenue. I want to say uh, for Goldman Sachs, uh, 2009 was its most profitable year ever, um, and and volatility is a big reason for it. So that you're right, they do have other ways to make money. Um, interest rates are going to hurt profits, but not by as much as you may think. Okay. And let's let's piggyback on that discussion there into this next question from at Teddy McGarren. And, and Teddy asks, what should I think about banks in a zero interest rate environment, uh, which could come very soon? And clearly that, that day is, is, is today. Um, but his question kind of gets to, to an, another um, important uh, issue here is, what about the differences between big banks and small regional banks, buy, sell, or hold? And so, I just wanted to talk a little bit with you about sort of your how do you, you know how you feel about big banks versus the smaller banks today? Because uh, you know, you and I both love those small banks. I mean, one that I talk about all the time, Ameris Bank Corps. Uh, I mean, I, I found Ameris back in in the depths of the financial crisis and the Great Recession back in 2010 or something like that when it's it felt like the whole world was coming to an end there um, and their stock had gotten hammered but it was a well-run bank that kind of just kept on doing what it was doing and it recovered nicely but lo and behold now here in this bear market Ameris is is getting uh, hit along with all of the other small banks we talked about live oak uh, live oak just a, a little while ago um, so it's I see, I see opportunity in in both. I mean, it does feel like the leaders, the big dogs, come out of times like these in better positions. Uh, but that doesn't mean that smaller players, smaller regional banks, can't come out of here uh, looking better as well. Uh, what what yeah. do, you, do you do? You tilt towards one over the other in in a time like this? I tend to agree. As far as my investment dollars go, I tend to gravitate toward the big banks in environments like this, just because they've been so stress tested and so scrutinized that we know that they can make it through. Um, It just seems like a little bit more of a safer play. Not that, 
I mean, a well-run regional bank can be a great investment in any in any environment. Like you said, Ameris, I don't think has anything to worry about. Uh, just to kind of disclose one of mine, I bought Goldman Sachs about a week ago um, after the downturn started because I think it's a great value and and because I think it, it can really make it through pretty much anything the market throws at it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I tell you, I was looking at the, the sell-off of the Maris today and I, part of me was thinking, man, you know what? I really want to buy some more shares of this bank. Uh, then the other part of me said, you know what? I think we're probably going to talk about it on today's show, so I better hold off. Um, and for listeners who don't know, we do have trading guidelines here at The Fool. So whenever we talk about these businesses, we have we have periods of silence we need to maintain before and after we make any transactions buying or selling. So um, you know, anytime you don't hear us talking about something, that may be why we're being silent in the in a in a period of uh, of, of heavy news, but but yeah, I, f- I feel like Ameris. If if this sell off holds, this is this is one I, I own shares in today, and I I think I'd like to add to it because you're right. I, I do think they are in a good position. They just finished that acquisition with Fidelity, um, financially in great shape. I mean, this is just one of those things that just again these bear markets don't discriminate. Uh, talking about bear markets, and, and Brian here at BSC082 asks, can this current scenario be compared to anything in the past? Um, and I mean, I, the short answer is yes. I think you can compare it to anything and everything. It's just a matter of trying to figure out um, what the similarities and one, what, what the differences are. And you know, I'd come across some interesting research recently from Goldman Sachs that was talking about bear markets like the one we're in, event-driven bear markets. Uh, because there is a difference, you know, between an event-driven bear market or a secular, you know, bear market that's a a bit more tied towards economic performance. But um, these types of bear markets tend to result, on average, in 29% declines and take about 15 months to get back to their previous levels. And so, I mean, clearly we're in that 29% range now. I think the Dow is down around 30% from its highs. Um, and, and the 15 month thing, I mean, it's it's important to note too, 15 months to get back to where they were, to where things were. So you have to recognize that all along the way, getting back up to that point where, where it used to be, that also represents opportunity. I mean, you want to be buying all the way up. Like that's why investing in that 401k all along the way here is so important because that that recovery is also opportunity, don't you think, Matt? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and uh, directly, there's no comparison to this event, um, especially in the modern age. Right. I think there was that, that um, in 1918, I think there was a, a big uh, disease. I want, don't quote me on that year, but there, it's happened before where, you know, a health outbreak has kind of rocked the nation, but not you know, in the past hundred years or so. No, I mean, there was SARS. It wasn't that long ago. I mean, uh, when, when the SARS crisis hit, but I mean, that was so much smaller in comparison. I mean, the, the that was that was a virus that ultimately was contained, right? I mean, that that was that was a virus that was contained. I mean, something that's very similar to the coronavirus, but I mean, it was just um that that's uh, the the numbers there were just a fraction of of the numbers that we're dealing with now, and so it's it's difficult to compare. Um, I mean, the, the last time I felt like this. Um, in the market, I mean, it, it was back in in oh eight oh nine during the during the, the housing crisis and the Great Recession that followed. I mean, this 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 is what feels about like I felt back then. Um, right. and, I, th- and I think just- I'm just going to avoid the market in March from here on out. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just these 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 times are they're tough to deal with, but by the same token, they can be tremendous. Um, they can be a tremendous benefit. You can learn so much from them, and I've just I've said it. So much. I mean, going through that Great Recession, it was just a great 
um, ed- educational tool as an investor. I pull back from that experience all the time. Um, lessons that I learned in in ways to look at companies, how to invest. You know, I, I one thing I've kept on saying to people is take it slow. You know, now especially with no commission costs, you don't have to go in there and invest everything at once. You can invest slowly. It's just no reason to try to put everything to work at once because as we can see, it's it's not something that just fixes itself overnight. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can compare and contrast, I think, to really anything. Um, but it does it does feel like this is a unique situation. I don't know that there's anything that I could pull from that, that really necessarily correlates given the numbers that we know today. Um, so here is another question from at Eric underscore Albi who asks, are there any specific companies that you have changed your long-term five-year-plus outlook on as a result of the past few weeks? And, you know, Matt, when I read this question first, my inclination was to think, okay, what companies am I less bullish on now than I was before? And then it started it started kind of striking me that, you know what, I don't know that there really are any companies that, it, when I look at a five-year-plus time horizon, there aren't companies that I've really changed my outlook on from from that perspective, from a negative perspective. But but I do feel like on the upside, I do look at some of some of our favorite companies, and I think you know what they come out of situations like these a lot stronger in a lot in a lot better position. So it actually does make me feel a little bit more optimistic about what the future holds for a business like Booking.com. I think I've used as an example on Market Foolery before. I'm easy to see today why Booking. Dot com is getting shellacked. I mean, travel is ground to a halt. People aren't going anywhere. Um, but if you believe that in time that this that this uh, virus abates and we get back to life as normal, um, well, people will eventually start traveling again. And, and Booking.com is going to be still that massive network um, uh, that, that has a global presence in, in, in a massive uh, presence in the travel industry. It's going to be a stronger business after all is said and done here, and that's one that kind of comes to mind from from that question there from Eric. I, I don't know, Matt. Did you have any examples? Yeah, I'm not sure that my long term thesis on any stocks that I liked have really changed, but you got to think of some of the things that this is kind of bringing out the use case for. Um, I mean, just to give one example that we we could tell you all too well is Zoom. We're on a Zoom yeah. meeting right now. Yeah, that's right. Um, it, a lot of people think thought their jobs weren't possible to do from home until this past couple of weeks. Um, and it's really kind of, I think Zoom's going to see a nice uptick in business, especially, I think that, did I read that Zoom was giving away their services to students who were um, at home? I didn't read that, but that's distinctly possible. That certainly sounds like something uh, founder and CEO Eric Yuan would do. Um, very, very strong culture there. And his focus, you know, he always uses that word happy. He's just trying to make customers, he's trying to make his customers happy. Um, and I would imagine that he would look at something like this and say, you know what, this is this is a time where we all need to to band together and and um, and and fight this thing as a team and and you know that will have a long term impact on their business. The brand equity that comes from doing something like that is tremendous. And I you know speaking of Zoom, I mean I was reading through a, a note here earlier on Teladoc Health that was saying that they experienced a fifty percent spike in patient visit volume over uh, the the previous week. 
which you know this this really times like these really i think make the argument for telemedicine why virtual healthcare can work and why it should be a a, a fundamental part of our healthcare system and so you know you see a company like teledoc i feel like they're going to come out of this even stronger uh, right i mean that 50% is not going to be permanent some no. people are people are going to start going back to the doctor after this but you know at the same time it's it's a matter of getting your product in front of more eyeballs, which is what Teladoc and Zoom are doing right now. Exactly, exactly, and and I think you know as as a society we're starting to buy into this notion that hey, you know what, we can actually get a lot of work done at home, and hey, you know what, maybe uh, maybe maybe logging into the app there and, and and opening up my doctor's visit from my phone is is the better first step to make in some cases. Um, and, and so yeah, it, it was just interesting for me. I, I felt like I. I it makes me more bullish on a lot of the companies that I love, but I don't know that there are any companies that I really feel uh, are terribly threatened from this. Um, but but a good question nonetheless. Uh, and let's go ahead and wrap it up. We have one more question here from at William Wadbrandt. And he asks, when buying equities, especially in worried markets like this one, it's vital to own quality businesses as they survive and flourish while weaker ones fail. How do you evaluate that quality and determine if a business will be able to handle the difficult environment ahead? And, uh, and you know, it's a good question. I think it lines up with, with one we took a little bit earlier. Uh, what are some of the qualities you look for in businesses? What, what, do you, what makes a quality business to you? And, I mean, for me, Matt, one of the first things I go to is the balance sheet and financial resources, right? I mean, you see a company that has the financial resources to deal with an extended downturn like this. They're going to be the ones that, that you feel like uh, are, are, are going to be in better shape, right? Yeah, that's definitely the the first thing I look at. But I mean, finances being equal, I want to I see which has the you know the more valuable brand name, which one has the services that people can't live without. Um, like you you mentioned, Teladoc, like that's a service that people need. Yeah. Um, you know, balance sheet aside, uh, Square, PayPal, all our our favorite war on cash stocks, that's a service that's needed. Yep. Um, I mean, I'd put you know, Visa and Mastercard are some of the most essential companies that I could think of. Um, how many how many payment transactions do you, would you say go through their system every day? I mean, billions, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, you know, you get to those absurd numbers like Apple's balance sheet and Facebook's users. I mean, it just, the numbers are so big, it's almost difficult to comprehend at times. Right. So, it, things like that, um, I tend to gravitate toward the bigger companies, the sector leaders during these times as Companies that have a better shot of making it through anything un- unscathed, like like I mentioned, the big banks already. Um, in the airlines, I would avoid the Spirit or one like the, like the listener said. And if you were going to go with any, stick with the most financially sound and and best brands like Southwest or or Delta or something like that. Not that I'm recommending any of those, but right. But if I was going to pick an airline, it would probably be one of the bigger ones in the sector. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's and the, just to, I mean, you got to start with the financials, as you said. Yeah, and and I think you know another thing that I I find helpful is I I like to look at, at who the company's customers are, and then further, who are the customers' customers, and and, and the one that kind of came to mind was Square, and thinking, well, you know, Square's customers are for the most part small businesses, and then those small businesses' customers are people like us, and so you can sort of connect the dots there and see, well. 
you know, there are going to be some problems there in the near term that will impact that business. Uh, that doesn't necessarily make it a less quality business, but it shows you at least what you might expect here on the near on the near term horizon. The challenges the business may deal with, um, and and so you know we like Square a lot. It has the financial resources to be able to deal with with periods of time like this, and that's great. But it's also worth noting um, who the customers are, and, and then I think ultimately look towards leadership as well. There are leaders that inspire. There are leaders that don't. There are leaders that we can look at and we think, you know what, these are the smartest guys and girls in the room um, and other ones that you really kind of don't want to be uh, around. And so I think leadership is another one you can take a look at and, and that can help make some some more sense of it. Uh, Eric Yuan with Zoom. I mean, another a leader that I just, I feel like is a, a tremendous asset and, and certainly um, you know helps make the argument for the favor that Zoom is a quality business. Uh, okay, Matt, that wraps it up for the questions this week. I know that was a lot, but we feel like this is a, uh, a unique time and a trying time and one where we wanted to make sure our listeners knew that, that we were listening to you all as much as you, thankfully, are listening to us. And we're very grateful for the questions that you uh, threw out there on Twitter for us. Uh, so before we wrap it up this week, we do want to get back to uh, our ones to watch. Matt, what is a stock that you're going to be watching this week? I am watching Berkshire. I think uh -huh. Buffett is about to do his biggest buying spree of all time. If it's not already underway, it, <laughs> it very well may be. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, I'm going to be keeping an eye on Globant. Uh, the ticker there for Globant is G-L-O-B, but they are a, an IT consulting firm and what really is uh, only becoming a more tech-driven world. And Globant has some really big-time customers in their network, including Disney and Google and Electronic Arts. Um, but, you know, I mean, this this is a company, for me, really, my interest was piqued on the, the augmented reality and the immersive technology side of things. And uh, one, of, one of our colleagues, TJ Pickett, had introduced me to this company. As a matter of fact, I think back on an industry-focused episode many, many months ago, he was one of the uh, newer analysts at the time when we had some of the new analysts on the show um, and interviewed them, and, and TJ got this on our radar. So uh, that's one I'll be watching this coming week as well. Uh, but for now, I think that's going to do it for us this week, folks. Remember, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus. You can drop us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. Let us know how things are going. Let us know how you're coping with this time. We know it's not easy, uh, but that's why we're here. Uh, reach out to us on Twitter. Let us know what stocks you're buying. Ask any questions you have. That's why we're here, folks. So, um, as always, Matt, very, very happy to join you this week, and I'm glad we were able to make all the tech work here. Maybe a few more weeks where we're doing this remotely, but uh, it's good to know that we've got a process figured out. Yep, always good to be here, and I'm hoping you're, you're enjoying the work-from-home stuff as much as I do. <laughs> well, you know, it's got its good time. It's got its moments. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's nice, and other times you got to feel like uh, you feel like you got to get up and walk around and maybe get outside for a bit. But I certainly understand the situation, and I think acting in an overabundance of caution is probably the right way to go. Uh, so we'll be back up and running in the studio as soon as we're able to. That might be a little while, folks, but for now, uh, we will stick to the remote and uh, be thankful that we can at least deliver the podcast to you and thankful that you'll uh, continue listening to them. So as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or, uh, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for taking his production skills to the next level during these trying times. We won't forget this, Austin. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.